and she's a clove and graver oak, a forged with blade and bound with silk, a silver mine, a mason built, a battle. Greetings, listeners. I'm Dave Kale, the co-host of the Riddles in the Dark podcast with the Tolkien Professor. Um, I hope you've all been listening to that. From the comments that we're getting on the Mythgard site of people demanding more episodes, I sounds like a lot of you are. And uh, on the latest episode that we recorded, which was yesterday, Friday, uh, July 6th, we had about 15 people listening live, which was fantastic. So it sounds like sounds like you guys are enjoying the episodes, which is great. And of course, um, a lot of you have been sort of saying like, oh, uh, when are we going to get more episodes and stuff? Um, and uh, if you recall, the, one of the solutions proposed for this was to do uh, additional Riddles in the Dark Digest episodes that I would be hosting um, myself. And that these would feature contributed content from our analysts and also address a lot of the feedback that you guys give us uh, that we don't have time to address on the main Riddles in the Dark episodes. Um, and of course, the reason for this is that Corey, Corey is just so busy with, with all of his Mythgard and Signum stuff that he doing an episode every week is a real strain on him, and it takes away from his family time. So uh, what we agreed to was this alternating every other week we would do an episode, and then I would try to do digest episodes uh, in between those. And of course, I failed miserably. Um, but I hadn't completely forgotten about it. I've been accumulating all the content. Uh, we have a ton of predictions from our analysts and a lot of feedback from you guys. Um, but uh, it, it was just it, doing it on my own was hard. I, I, I'm sure some of you have listened to that first episode, and I, I just wasn't terribly pleased with it. And uh, and also just a lot of work. Um, and, it, and it just missed sort of uh, sort of the dynamic element you get with a conversation. Um, and that's when, of course, you catastrophe struck. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, my new co-host, Trish Lambert, fell into our laps and said, hey, I want to help. How can I help? Uh, she was one of the one of the many listeners who was demanding new episodes. And, and, and as many of us who've gotten involved with helping Corey produce content for his site and podcast, um, uh, she's one of those people that crossed the line from demanding new content to saying, fine, I'll help you make it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so here we are back doing a new digest episode, and I'm I'm very up. We're gonna record a whole bunch in a row uh, and start releasing them. And our hope is to catch up and start doing these uh, alternating with the uh, with the new riddles in the dark episodes. Uh, and I'm really excited about it because Trish is a fantastic uh, lady, very very smart, very uh, energetic, and a lot of fun to talk to. Um, I know Corey's going to be releasing some episodes with her, uh, uh, doing sort of. Um, uh, Tolkien chats and stuff, and she's going to be joining me on these Digest episodes, which I think are going to be awesome. So uh, let me stop rambling and introduce <laughs> you to my new, brand new co-host and a new member of the Mythgard podcasting team, Trish Lambert. Hello, Trish. Hi, Dave. Uh, people are going to probably get used to me laughing. I, I laugh a lot, but I got to tell you, you have just given me a new title to put on my business card. I don't know if I can call myself a catastrophe or a catastrophe creator, but either way, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think I would just go with catastrophe. or actually, no, I got it, I got it, I got it, eucatastropher. Uh, there you go, there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, to be for a Tolkien geek to be called a eucatastrophe is like the epitome of compliment, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. That's, that's a word that, that – I don't know about you, but that's a word that I really – 
I guess I must have heard it at some point since I, I studied some classic Greek when I was in college, but it's a word I really wasn't introduced to, what didn't really insinuate itself into my vocabulary until I started listening to Corey's podcast. Now that I know it, I use it as frequently as All possible. The time. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, I got the impression from reading Tolkien's letters that he kind of like kind of created the word, either that or he resurrected it. I don't know, because I remember one of the letters to his son, he talks about eucatastrophe versus dyscatastrophe, D-Y-S catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And then um, kind of, you know, talked a little bit about it. I almost got the impression that maybe he might have even coined it. I don't know. No, I think it comes from the Greek. Oh, does it? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty it was sure actually it, in use. Yeah, yeah okay. I think it's a I think it's a Greek word, but it's just something that it doesn't. It's not a part of um, no, modern right. parlance, really. So, anyway, why don't, so why don't you tell us a little about a little bit about yourself, Trish? Uh, in particular, you know, I think what the listeners really want to know is um, how did you get into to- you know just basics <laughs> about you? What do you do? What do you enjoy? Um, where do you come from? Uh, how did you get into Tolkien? How did you get into listening to Tolkien Professor and and then end up involved here? And end up here, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, now I, I will try to keep it short. That could probably be a whole, you know, thing. <laughs> but um, um, I I just kind of real easy background to give you is I'm an army brat, so I was raised in an army household, and so because of that, I mean, I've traveled extensively. I, you know, just someday, you know, or you'll probably it'll probably leak out in my conversation about you know when I was living here and when I was living there, and I mean, it's just. Kind of like, and I continued that into my adulthood. So, I've just traveled on my life all all over the place. Um, uh, today, I live in Austin, in the Austin, Texas area. Having moved all over the place, I have found that I really enjoy the vibe here. And um, I uh, I have a marketing consulting company as well as a business coaching practice. So I'm a solo. My my business coaching business coaching practice is called Success in Sweatpants, which should pretty much say it all. It's like I help folks be able to stay at home and you know have their businesses and be successful. Um, but the really important stuff is how did I come to Tolkien? I am um, <laughs> I am of the generation when Tolkien was still alive when I read Lord of the Rings. Um, I first got introduced to it. I think my sister left a copy of The Hobbit laying around one summer, and I read The Hobbit, and then I read The Lord of the Rings, and I was in junior high school and just loved it. I mean, I was just entranced, enchanted. And um, I saved up my babysitting money and got a hard copy version of the uh, trilogy. Oh, and I read the Ace paperbacks. The the infamous Ace paperbacks were the ones that I read. And then I, I bought a copy of the trilogy and I bought also a wall map of Middle Earth, which actually was on my wall all through my high school days. And actually into college. Took it to, you know, my dorm with me. Um, but I think the funniest story, probably, I think anyway, of, of my Tolkien year. Oh, I wrote a letter. I actually wrote a fan letter to him, which was in, which I got a response from Alan and Unwin, which I wish I'd kept that letter, you know, but who knew? Yeah, I um, noticed your letter did not appear in the, uh, in the, <laughs> in the letters, no. letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. It did not, no. <laughs> I was, and I certainly being, however, how old was I at the time, 12 or 13, no, didn't ask any particular scholarly questions, I don't think. Um, but I did, I, I've always been a writer. Actually, I do a lot of writing. And uh, if, if you ask me what I had, you know, I can only pick one thing to be, that would be what I am as a writer. And even back in those days, so I wrote, you know, my only way to really still stay in Middle Earth after I finished the trilogy at the time was to write myself into it. So I wrote a piece of fan fiction called, <laughs> God, it's embarrassing, called Lady Patricia of Middle Earth. <laughs> and I had kind of like a line which in the wardrobe kind of, you know, transitioned from, you know, 
today's world into Middle Earth, you know, kind uh-huh. of that kind of written. But this is the funniest part is I had to have a boyfriend. I mean, I'm a teen, you know, I'm a tween at this point. I had to have a boyfriend. So the only unattached male I could find in the story that I could have a, as a boyfriend was, drum roll please, Glorfindel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> so when I and I, years and years and years later, when I'm listening to the Sil- Silmarillion you know, podcast and Glorfindel came up in the Silmarillion, it was like hearing about an old boyfriend. <laughs> oh, so that's what he's been up to. <laughs> he never told me. I had no idea of the significance of this guy that I had chosen to be my boyfriend, you know. But anyway, so that. But I have just always been a Tolkien fan, and. um to tell you the honest truth, you know, when I, I the movies came out, I'm sure like most of us, I was, you know, worried. And um, and actually, uh, you know, I like Corey was mentioning yesterday on the podcast on how his wife wouldn't go with him to see them. I mean, I, I ended up having to go see the, the t- second and third movies by myself because nobody would go with me. I'd sit in the theater and go, oh, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Teresa's family uh... – <laughs> Well, they do it like she, 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 and it's not just Lord of the Rings either. Like last night we were just hanging out and, uh, and, um, and Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows part one was on and, uh, and then she just sort of flipped it on before we went to go do something. And they had the part where they show up at Harry's house and Bill Weasley comes in and introduces himself. And, um, and I just go, I just go, you know, like, yeah, we haven't met, you know, during the last five years where you've been visiting our house and we came to visit you in school and all this stuff. And she's just like, she's just like, oh, stop it. Like, it's just all book adaptations now. She just, like, she just drives her bonkers. But her family will, will, uh, um, they, like, like, last time we watched this at their house, I don't remember why, but we, we, we watched, we did a marathon of Lord of the Rings films. And I think it was partly just to, to antagonize me. Like, they, her, her, her mom and her brother get, get sat, like, it drives trees to bonkers, but they get satisfaction out of bugging me about it. So, how, what did they screw up there, Dave? <laughs> So I'm trying not to be like that. I, I've assured Teresa with the Hobbit, I'm not going to be that way. Because... <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know. I think you know, <laughs> listening to some of these and 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 watching some of the footage and stuff, I think I'm going to have to also go by myself. Either that, or I said to Corey yesterday, why don't we get some kind of like group together? You know, I would travel to be with other Tolkien geeks to go see the Hobbit because at least we can all like gasp as as one. Yes, <laughs> I wish I I wish I had the um. I wish I had the money and the time to go to on one of the New Zealand trips as well. Oh, I I no. I think I'll probably try to do it next year. Um, oh, that would be great. This year, this this fall, I'm going to be in addition to in addition to the fact I just emptied all my savings on uh, on an engagement ring and wedding stuff, ah. and also I'll be starting first year of my PhD. I'm like I cannot take two weeks to go to New That's Zealand. Right. Oh my gosh! Oh fall my gosh. of 2013 though, I'm going. Going. I, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to go with a bunch of people, something like that. I, I really want to go because that'd be awesome. Yeah. But, I think but, I, be but actually, yeah. maybe we can do something smaller scale, like some kind of get together, like fly out to to where Corey is or something. I would love to do that. I I was thinking, you know, maybe Corey would do something where we fly to where Corey is, and then the next day we all get together, you know, and he sort of facilitates a, a session with us, you know, after with the group of us that have seen the movie. I mean, I think yeah. that would, I would totally go to that. I think yeah. that would be awesome to do. It's not a ba- that's not a bad idea. Yeah, well, so you may know, have you. something in mind. I don't know, you know, because I think uh, one of the classes, because I'm doing class with him, and I think I said I may have said something like, you know, we should get together, and he goes, ah, 
we, you know, just stand by. So he may have something on, on his mind. I don't know. Well, interesting. Have to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Well, well, and how I got to how I got to find Corey and 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 you and Mythgard and everything else was literally. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. How did I do? I just was kind of feeling like there must be other there must be other people out there mm-hmm. <laughs> who love this as much as I do. And I just started browsing and I I literally tripped over Corey's podcast. Mm-hmm. And um it was probably I don't even know. It hasn't really been all that long. I mean, I haven't been with him, you know, since he started doing it. I mean, I think he was I think he was in the doing in the middle of his Tolkien lecture at the time, or maybe it was just before he started the Silmarillion lecture. I can't remember, but anyway, so I discovered it like many people do. You know, I notice there are folks that come on and say, "Oh, I just discovered it. I listened to everything," and I was one of those people. And I just got so excited. And then when Mythgard, you know, when he opened Mythgard, I just am so excited about Mythgard because it's so not. I don't want to say non-academic, but you know, you know how Corey says it's like the reason he started to do the podcast was because you know he would do a paper and only like two people in the whole world would read the paper, and mm-hmm. he knew that there were more people out there interested in this stuff, and it's kind of like he's he's translated that into Mythgard, and it's very scholarly and it's very academic and it's very you know challenging for me, especially given how long it's been since I've been out of school and also because I'm science trained, not literature trained Mm -hmm. but I really enjoy that and so kind of you know I've just sort of that's how you know I've I've kind of gone from one to the other and I mean being able to actually get a master's in literature with Tolkien studies oh my god yeah I mean it's like I just can't believe so anyway so that's you know that's how I ended up here, and I just could talk about this stuff all day long. I love listening to him. I love listening to you guys on the digest, and 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 I I think one of the reasons why I offered to help you with this is because I think Corey ignores my input sometimes on the, on the radio shows, <laughs> only because there's so many people talking, and I'm so like there's so many things I want to say that it's like I'm sure he's like okay, I already I already said like two things from her. <laughs> it's like I'm not yeah. going to say these next. Yeah, things. I I I actually I mean. I had a similar experience. We were talking about this off the air before we started recording. Um, how I got involved was, is – my story is very similar. I actually came to this – believe it or not, I came to this from Harry Potter podcast. Oh. I started out listening to MuggleCast and, um, uh, and PotterCast. Uh, which I've which I've since stopped listening to because you know I mean let's face it they've just run out of material it's just right. not like right. and, and 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 I love them nothing against them I love them to death and if they're listening to this please don't be offended uh, but but honestly it's it's fairly clear that a lot of the hosts are moving on to other projects and they're sure. just kind of sure. they're just sort of inertia is keeping them doing this but their interests really lie elsewhere like the MuggleCast guys have gone off and started a Game of Thrones podcast and some of them have started this new um, you know, news entertainment news site hypeable, and the Pottercast mm-hmm. people have moved on to other things. But, but anyway, um, I started listening to those, and like many people, I sort of exhausted the the archive of stuff, and it was like, well, I want more podcasts to listen to. It's like a drug. So I started <laughs> listening to I started listening to Father Roderick and the Secrets of the um, um, uh, Harry Potter podcast, which also I've since stopped listening to. I've basically stopped listening to Harry Potter podcast at this point, <laughs> which is sad. But uh, there was a lot of com- – there was a his Secrets of the Middle Earth podcast, which I listened to about five episodes of, and then there weren't any more. And there was a lot of discussion about starting up a new one. And at some point, I was just like, well, maybe I'll just look for other Tolkien podcasts on iTunes. And I found a variety of sort of lectures and recorded right. things. And then I found Tolkien Professor, and then I was just sold. And then I – you know, he was doing all kinds of different – and one of the things I loved about him was uh, <clears throat> that he did – 
Um, in some sense, what I liked about him was the was the not particularly organized, structured, produced, right. you know, <laughs> format that he was basically anytime he had a conversation about it, stuff that he thought could be interesting, right. he recorded it and put it on there. And he has no shame, you know, like if the audio ter- audio quality is terrible, he doesn't care. Uh, and uh, and I kind of like that. I mean, it, it's it's yeah. it's a it's a fun fa- it's a fun mix of um, um, uh, shamelessness and narcissism, um, <laughs> but it, it it's great content. Uh, and so awesome. and like you, there was a point at which like I did a couple did a couple call ins with him, um, uh, you know, on Skype Q and As and stuff, and had some great right. conversations, and just was like, well, that's just not enough. Like I don't I don't just want to be a passive digester. I want right. to actually actively contribute so he launched his Silmarillion seminar and I was like oh I must get into this so I like signed up immediately and, and said I'll put in ever, however much time I need to and I volunteered to help edit the episodes when it was clear there was a need for that and it was all just a, a ploy to insinuate myself into his in, inner circle so um, yeah. well and actually that's how I got to know you it was on the Silmarillion podcast you know and I just enjoyed it because I mean I got to say, at least nine times out of ten, I mean, you were always sort of – so often, like, you would bring up, like, the the alternate view of something or you'd have an opinion that maybe yes, was kind of against very everybody else. And I'm like, yeah, Dave. All right, Dave. <laughs> so like, I knew you already from the Silmarillion podcast. I'm like, oh, we, I totally yes. work with this guy. I mean, let's do something. So, yeah, yes. so isn't that funny? That's – well, yeah, and I'll bet you, you and I have probably echoed the experience of a lot of folks who are listening, you know, they, they've come, they found Corey. And now it's like, a, like you said, it's like kind of addictive, you know, it's yep. like a more, more, more episodes. Yep. More episodes. And, and I would like to say, I would like to just, just put this out there that for, for anyone out there who might be listening, who's thinking about who's, who, who's finding the, the rate at which we produce shows and respond to Facebook comments uh, to be somewhat dissatisfying or, or who just feel like, <laughs> Who just don't feel like uh, – who feel like listening and posting comments on, on Facebook or the MythGuard page is just not quite doing it for you and you, you, you're starting to think maybe you want to take a next step or take things to the next level or whatever, please send me an email, kale at mythguard.org because I, I, we can find things for you Absolutely. to contribute to. We would love to – we would love to build out a team. I, I, that has been Corey's vision all along with um, – um, transitioning Tolkien professor to, to get it to the point where it's not just it's not just a, a, a monologue by him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, you know, and that's actually why I'm sitting here now is because I got to the point where I started to feel guilty about complaining because mm-hmm. I thought, Trish, if you're going to complain and not offer, that's mm-hmm. crazy. You know? So it's like I finally was like, okay, if I'm going to be that demanding, then yep. I need to step it's up. Dangerous. <laughs> it is. Yes. It's very dangerous, but uh, you don't know what you're going to get sucked into. But <laughs> But I, I definitely I think there's other people out there like that, and I yeah, and the more definitely. of us who are doing this, the the uh, obviously it's going to create some complexity for management for 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 folks like me and you. But I still I think I think that uh, it would it, we will be able to put out more stuff and yeah. uh, and and really do some awesome work, um, and it would really help Mythgard out too because I. I yeah, I agree with you. Mythgard is fantastic. Like the fact really that you can get a, a master's in literature with the focus on Tolkien studies is great. But I'm, I tell you, I'm sold on the larger vision. I, I'm like, I Corey has convinced me, um, just from my own experiences too, that like people mortgaging their future to get a a, a bachelor's right. degree in liberal arts and then struggling to find jobs because right. the the workplace doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily, you know, doesn't necessarily see the value in that. Uh, like that is just ridiculous. Like higher education's got to change, and yeah. um, no, and right. although you know, I, I I think I still 
put myself and Corey feels this way too that, that there's still value in the residential education like there's something about going away from your home and living living on a camp in a dorm with other students and all that but is it worth $50,000 a year well you know maybe if you go to Harvard or Stanford where they have a huge endowment and you and then most nice. of it's paid for for you so you, that's not the actual cost to you okay fine and, and and you know that opens a lot of doors but a lot of other places where you have to do it all through loans it ain't worth it and we gotta with the and, and, and yeah, and using some of this online stuff, we can put put some external pressure on the higher mm-hmm. education industry to change. So, so I'm sold on the larger vision. Oh, so I, I want to. I am absolutely too, and that's one of the things too that I I do want to stress about MythGuard. You know, I I do find I am having a blast doing the classes, mm-hmm. but it is also a challenge, and it's it's an academic challenge. I mean, the academic standards are high. Yep. You know, and and so and when I tell people I'm doing this and they ask me a bit more about Mythgard, I may imagine that I'm seeing some skepticism in their eyes or not, but it, but I always make a point of saying, no, you don't understand. I mean, this is truly, it's it's right. it's a very high standard and it's, academic and environment. And it's not what people think of with online education. No, it's not, no. you're not just sitting and watching videos or reading or reading right. um, notes on, right. a, on a webpage. It's like very interact. Like they re- we, it really has done, and this is something, you know, there's all these, there's a lot of online education stuff that's uh, really high profile in the news. Um, Coursera and Udacity and some of those, yeah. uh, and and none of them is doing liberal arts, not the way that the Corey is, and not, and and people, I think even people like them, where they're really thinking outside the box, they don't believe that that this kind of sort of um, humanities interactive experience is scalable. Can be done. But oh, it, yeah. it really it is. is. It totally it is. Totally is. It totally and this is. is a and it also offers a great opportunity for people holding these degrees to be employed. <laughs> And that's well. I mean, I was pretty honest with Corey about that. You know, I told him one time. I said, "You're not getting rid of me." I mean, you know, what my plan is to do is when I get my master's, you know, I want to go be a preceptor because that's right. You know, I mean, and Corey said, "Well, fine, because as this grows, it is definitely scalable as far as the lectures." But then, you know, the second part is to have these smaller group discussions where you're actually live. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of what I do for a living as a coach. So it would be transferring that over, and and, be great. And and the thing I realized about too is. That that's really where the teaching is taking place, yeah, right? Like is. those are the people who are doing teaching. Yeah, you get great lecturers, but lecture right. is not where you really where you do learning. Learning is is in discussion. So um, and <laughs> now we've done this huge commercial for for Ms. Yeah. Card. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's we do a lot of that on these things. So okay, well, more about that later. Let's get into riddles in the dark. Love it. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> Um, so, uh, so the previous episode of the digest did episodes one and two. So we're going to launch into episode three, uh, and depending on how quickly give my predictions on the first two episodes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Okay. So, um, let's do episodes one and two very briefly so you can get, you can be on the record. Episode one, if people recall, um, the very first episode, if you recall, we had about four, the first four episodes, were uh, were um, myopically focused on the dwarves because Corey and I are fascinated by the dwarf backstory. And, and in fact, to the point that there was somebody at one point who commented on episode five or six, it's like, hey, are you ever going to talk about the Hobbit? <laughs> this, this character <laughs> named the Hobbit in The Hobbit? Like, yeah, the dwarf stuff's great. So anyway, so we spent the first four episodes on, on dwarves. Uh, and the very first one was about Thrine. And we really spent a lot of time. Uh, and of course, we there's still an unresolved discussion about how to pr- actually pronounce this. I think it's... I think it's. I think what we came down is Thrain, um, uh, Thrain. I think they actually the the sort of emphasis on the second syllable. It's two syllables, and the emphasis on the second syllable is undisputed. It's more. Is it Thrain or Thrain? Oh, uh, I don't know. Okay. So I'm going to go with Thrain um, yeah. this time. I'll change it next time. <laughs> 
So episode one was on thrine, and we really delved into the the appendix material about thrine. Um, thrine is, of course, uh, the grandfather of Thorin Oakenshield. And uh, the question here was, um, uh, how will Thrain's backstory be uh, explored? Um, actually, I'm wrong. Thrain is his father. I was going to say his father, yeah. Yes, okay. thank you. I was trying to think so about that. Right. our answers were A through E, full flashback showing his journey and capture at the edge of Mirkwood. If, if folks recall, Thrain, um, uh, they were living in exile after being kicked out of the Lonely Mountain by uh, Smaug. And if, at some point, Thrain said, I'm dissatisfied. I'm going to go back to, to the Lonely Mountain and see how that goes. And, and people were like, well, that's a terrible idea. But he did it anyway. But he never even made it that far. They uh, journeyed east, got to Mirkwood, camped overnight, and his companions woke up, and he was gone. Never saw him again. So uh, A is we'll see all of that on screen. B was um, maybe just ex- B and C were just exposition. Um, B being Gandalf will relate the story to Thorin perhaps um, uh, during when they have their first night at Bilbo's house. Since Gandalf knows a lot of the story from Thrain's lips, having met him in the dungeons of Dol Guldur, um, perhaps C will be uh, C was maybe the exposition will be Thorin telling the story. He's already learned it from Gandalf. D was none of the above. It will be left out or mentioned in passing. Um, and, and then E was, we added another, you can tell that this was our first question. We didn't know what we were doing. We ended up with another answer that was added by Father Roderick, who found our answers dissatisfying. He said <laughs> he thought it would be exposition, exposition from Thrain to Gandalf. So in other words, that the story will be related on screen when Gandalf's at Dol Goldor interacting with Thrain. Um, um, and, uh, and then it won't be retold to the other characters. So there you go. Full flashback, exposition from Gandalf to Thorin, from Thorin to others, from Thrain to Gandalf, or none of the above. I'm going with Father Roderick's edition of (laughs) Thank you, Father Roderick. Thank you, Father Roderick. You weren't the only one either. Lily and Elorio from the Warriors of the Westfold did the same thing. They did the same thing, yeah. Well, and and actually, you know, when I listened to him talk about it, too, I said, yeah, that makes sense. Because we know they're going to meet. We know that we'll see the two meet. I mean, now we know that. Maybe we didn't at the time that this episode came out. Mm -hmm. And I could see Thryon gasping out the story with his dying breath to Gandalf. It's being very dramatic. So, ease my choice. Yep. Great. Good. So, episode two, <clears throat> uh, we got into Thror, who is actually Thorin's grandfather. Um, yes. And if folks recall, Thror was also at Lonely Mountain when they got kicked out by Smaug. Um, but when he got dissatisfied, what he did was he decided to go recapture um, uh, Moria, or Khazad-dûm, as the uh, dwarves refer to it. Uh, and of course, that didn't go particularly well for him either. Uh, he literally lost his head over it. So, um, uh, and we talked a lot about that, and what we got into was, uh, we started getting into the Battle of Azanolbazar, but, uh, but we didn't actually make a prediction on that. We left that for the next episode, which we'll be discussing shortly. Uh, what we wanted to know was, will Thror's death be portrayed? And what, what we're really, the reason we were getting into a lot of this is we really think that, um, seems to be a lot of emphasis on the dwarves here and, and really filling out their characters and backstory. Right. Uh, in a way that you don't see in the actual published Hobbit. And, and Peter Jackson has made it clear on multiple occasions that he wants to mine the, uh, for lack of a better term, apocryphal material. 
And so, uh, so we we strongly suspect that this is where some of the richest content to be mined will come from. And of course, the casting has hinted that these things will be shown on screen. Um, um, Azog. Yeah, I was going to say, did Azog is is cast yep. and Thror was cast. Yep, also. Thror's been cast. Yeah. Thrine's been cast. Azog's been cast. So. Uh, yeah. And and this of course gives you we think they'll really play up the enmity between the dwarves and the and the and the goblins instead of just taking it for granted and so they'll show us why there's this enmity and these events of course are what what underlie that so the question here was how will Thor's death be portrayed on screen um, uh, and your choices A through D are the full gruesome scene will unfold on screen including Nar picking up Thor's disembodied head B is the story will be told by a character probably Thorin. Uh, maybe to Bilbo. C is it will be mentioned. It, it will be mentioned in brief, probably in reference to the wars between goblins and dwarves. So it'll they'll just you know like Bilbo will be like, hey, how come there's so much entity? Well, they killed Thror, and that's all we'll get. <laughs> D is it will be left out, and the origins of the war and the dwarves will be changed or maybe just omitted. We'll just take it for granted. So, what do you think? Well, I'm finding I'm agreeing with you. You pick C, right? You said yep. it'll be mentioned in brief. I agree with that. Now, again, you know, I'm I that's kind of counter to us knowing Thor's been cast mm-hmm. but I still I just said it's going to take a precious screen time if they try to do anything else yeah. so I think well, it will be seen. Well about his casting the, the the caveat the nuance that I want to remind listeners about here is the question is not whether we fil- whether any of this stuff was filmed it's will it make it through uh, the editing process onto the theatrical release and That's a good point. I I think it's highly likely some of these scenes will be filmed. I just think that it's right. highly likely they'll get chopped because we, right. you know, that that was the thing. Like in starting out thinking about how's the Hobbit going to be made in the movie, there was a lot of thought about, well, boy, they really don't have much. How are they going to do this on screen? Or 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 sort of more like, well, this will fit into a film way better than Lord of the Rings did. Right. And after about after <laughs> after you know six months of doing this with Corey, it's like, well, there's way too much material. They're going to have to cut so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I, I, I think know. this is one possibility here where Thor's been cast, they'll film some scenes with him, and then very little of that will actually make it on screen. And, and it'll end uh, up on extended edition it, in the DVDs. Or yeah, DVDs. and it sounds like yeah. it sounds like you you I you feel the you. same way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Um, just to to give listeners a notion of how things how we expect things to work. So uh, Trish and I are going to labor uh, furiously over the next few weeks to. To record as many digest episodes as as quickly as we can to catch up to approximately where um, uh, uh, the main riddles in the dark episodes are, we um, we I think the current plan is to to basically release one episode, you know, one uh, and we'll release those as we have them. We'll trickle them out, um, uh, but very quickly. Uh, once we've caught up, the plan I think will be to re- to release these sort of alternating weeks with the main episodes. So. Um, uh, one week will be a Riddles in the Dark episode with Corey. The next week will be a Riddles in the Dark Digest episode with Trish but, but and I. From, but probably from one back, right? Yeah. In other words, we won't do – And what we'll yeah. probably do is, yeah, we'll probably have a lag. So if Corey and I do episode 12, uh, or let's say in a few weeks Corey and I will do episode 13, then uh, the next week Trish and I will do a Digest of episode 12. Right. Um, and what that gives us is that gives about three weeks of discussion. So that gives our analysts time to make their predictions and their content. That gives listeners a chance to listen to the new episode, think about it, um, send us their feedback, and then us to gather all that up and prepare discussion about it. So yeah. it's basically a way to keep the discussion going, right? 
Um, Absolutely. So that give other people a voice in the discussion. Yep, exactly. And especially, you know, and and maybe even incorporate new evidence because Corey and I, you know, a lot of times we will uh, we'll we'll pick a topic, we'll discuss it a little bit, we'll get on the show, we'll discuss it more, develop our thoughts, make our predictions, uh, and then like two weeks later, some leak will come out, and then it will you know be new evidence, and uh, and Corey Corey won't have it, we won't have a chance to have incorporated (laughs) that into our predictions or discussed it, and so this will give Trish and I a chance to revisit these things and uh, do some meta analysis, look at what our analysts and our listeners have said, and um, Trish will make her prediction. Um, so that'll be the major the major suspense for these digest episodes will be what is Trish's prediction? What will Trish think? Yeah, That's right. we, we and we won't announce those until the episode's been released. Um, and uh, but we'll also go over all the predictions that we've gotten from our analysts and feedback from our listeners, and maybe maybe um, I won't I don't get to change my prediction, but maybe I'll go and say, yeah, I was wrong. I'm screwed. I'm not, I'm going to get this one wrong. So. <laughs> So anyway, um, let's commence with the the furiously catching up. Um, so we're going to begin with episode three, and uh, um, episode three to remind our listeners and myself and Trish, since it's been like three or four months since we did this. Right, right. <clears throat> episode three was about the Battle of Azanobazar. This was a, we continued our foray into the deep history of the um, of the dwarves and the, hi- the history of the enmity between the dwarves and the goblins. If folks recall, Corey and I are huge fans of the Battle of Azanobazar. Uh, and it sounded like a lot of our analysts also were, um, and and there's a lot. I think there's a consensus among the fandom online that like. We really, really hope that they put some of this on screen because it's too awesome not to be on screen. Um, but uh, I think there's some sort of, um, you know, some questions about how much time they could spend on it, how it will be done. And if folks recall, there's actually an, a little consternation about the possibility that they might conflate elements of the Battle of Azanobazar with the Battle of Five Armies, which is what takes place at the end of The Hobbit. And uh, and Corey and I, we, we stumbled upon this possibility while discussing Thror's death and talking, hinting at the Battle of Azanobazar discussion. And, uh, and, and it sort of was like a, uh, I think we, we used the, um, the Aragorn quote from the book, which was given to Legolas in the films about a, a shadow and a threat growing in our sleep. <laughs> You know, we're like, oh my god, oh god, oh my god. I think they're gonna do it. I've had a few of those moments about yes, different aspects. This exactly. Is the first one. Yes. Yes. This was the first time when we felt that way too. We're like, oh god, they're they're gonna do it, aren't they? So the question was, will they conflate the Battle of Vows and Albazar, or at least elements of it, with the Battle of Five Armies? Uh, and the choices were A, no, not at all. They will be depicted completely separately. B, yes, partially. They'll retain the idea of the Battle of Azanolbazar, but maybe not show much of it on screen. And some elements will be incorporated into the Battle of Five Armies. For example, um, uh, maybe Azog won't be dead. Uh, he won't have been killed at the Battle of Azanolbazar, and instead, um, Dain will kill him at the Battle of Five Armies. So maybe he'll show up there. And then C is, yes, the Battle of Azanobazar will be completely removed. Even There won't even be mention of it. And any ele- whatever elements of it that appear on screen will do so in the Battle of Five Armies. Uh, and so um, uh, if folks recall, uh, Corey and I both landed on B. We, we, we were sure that they'll retain the idea of it and mention of it, but, pro- but possibly 
they instead of having instead of using up screen time on the Battle of Oz and Obazar battle, and then also having a battle at the end, the Battle of Five Armies, and having the battles be very similar, dwarves killing orcs and goblins, uh, what they'll do instead is keep the idea of the Battle of Oz and Obazar, and any 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 really awesome stuff they want to show on screen, they will just incorporate those elements into uh, the Battle of Five Armies. It's kind of a well, as long as, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm sort of, I see practically how this would make sense, and you saw them do this a lot in The Lord of the Rings, where they moved quotes around, reassigned quotes and stuff to retain some of those ideas, but use them more, you know, in a more efficient, you know, from a film standpoint way. So I could see how they might end up doing this. I think I'd be unhappy. I, I would like to see the Battle of Vows and Obazar on screen, but... You know, in in co- talking about lots of other stuff since then, there's lots of other things I'd like to see on screen too, and I don't know how they're <laughs> going to fit all of it. So, um, so uh, so what we're going to do is Trish and I are going to discuss this in the context of other comments we've gotten from analysts, and um, uh, which we're going to introduce now, and then uh, and then when we get to the end, uh, we will uh, hear a little more about Trish's act- her her perspective and what she thinks uh, will happen. So I would like to begin by reading uh, the short essay that we got from Mark Fisher. If folks recall, Mark Fisher is the proprietor of the Encyclopedia of Arda, which I'm sure everybody uses. And the website for that is uh, www.glyphweb.com slash Arda. Glyphs being spelled G-L-Y-P-H. Arda, you guys all know how to spell that. So here's what Mark said. I think we can be pretty confident that we're not going to enter a completely different line of events where, say, the Battle of Azanalbazar never happened, or Azog escaped at the end, or something radical of that sort. It'd be difficult to pull on threads like those without unraveling the entire backstory, and I doubt Peter Jackson would want to get involved in a wholesale revision of dwarfish history. I think it's a pretty safe bet that we'll see Thror's demise, and if so, it would make sense that we'd also see something of the aftermath, especially the resulting battle. That would also be a chance for the movie to give us a recognizable point of reference early in the story, since we've already seen Moria and Azanolbazar in the Fellowship of the Ring. We might even get a, get a fleeting cameo from the Balrog when Dain looks into Khazad Doom. Well, probably not, but something of that sort would help the audience to grasp where they are and what they're seeing. That's an interesting notion. Yeah, it is an interesting notion. On the other hand, I doubt we're going to get the complete and expurgated story of the battle. The films already have to fit in two major confrontations, the Battle of Five Armies, of course, and, I'd assume, the expulsion of the Necromancer from Dol Guldur. I can't really imagine that we'll see the three entire full-blown battle scenes across the two movies, and as an Obazar is the obvious one to cut down, so I'm guessing we'll see it as a montage of key moments or something like that, maybe with a voiceover from Bilbo to explain things. Taking all that into account, I'm torn between A and B. I wouldn't be surprised at all if some minor elements found their way into the Battle of Five Armies, but since I have to pick one option or the other, I'll settle on A. <laughs> so, um, Trish, you've been listening. You've you've kind of you've heard our running joke about Mark, right? Yes, yes. I was just going to say this is he's staying consistent to his yes. his reputation of sticking with That's the right. book. At least early on, he actually it's it's funny we we've retained the joke despite the fact that it no longer reflects reality. But right. He was right. a the first five times and hasn't picked it since. <laughs> but uh, and actually, if if you hadn't brought it up, he may have stuck with A. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that's true. We polluted him. And in fact, if you look at some of the other people, I think some of the other people have given just as many A answers as he has. Actually, you know, that's I'm looking at the thing now, and you're right. Three, 
four, five. Arwen yeah. has just as many as he does. Father Roderick is pretty close. He hasn't. Father Roderick hasn't answered the last four questions, but so he might catch up. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor Mark. I guess it was just Mark doing it like in a series like that that was so noticeable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was just the first five questions where, like, like from the very beginning, I was off. Corey was a wishful thinker for the first two, <laughs> and then he got off. So yeah. Um. So uh, the next thing that I would like to do is um. Uh, so do you, actually, before that, do, do you have any sort of thoughts or responses you'd like to to give to what he said? Any? any... Well, you know that thing about the Balrog was pretty interesting. Yeah. And I just. They would put a fleeting camera of the Balrog. I don't know. You know, somehow they're going to have to, you know, make the connection that it's Moria and as a noble czar. Yeah, know. that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm I, I'm like fixated on that notion now. You, so we were talking earlier about um, the fact that we're we're starting to be concerned. We're gonna we have too much too many good questions to make right. predictions about, and we don't want to we don't want to leave any question, good prediction questions unanswered when the film comes out. And I'm starting to th- and so we've been talking about adding like B questions. So like just you know sprinkling in a, each episode will have a main topic, but we'll sprinkle in extra questions. We already did this on the most recent Reels in the Dark where we uh, were talking about Gollum and we added a B question that was Will he leave the Misty Mountains uh, on screen? I, I'm really tempted to add add one retroactively here will we see a balrog on screen yeah i'd be curious to know what people think Actually, <laughs> i love that idea the folks who are gonna i don't know if we want to put it up on the grid or not but ask the folks you know at our listeners to comment on the yes. site do you think a balrog is gonna make an appearance of yes. some sort yes in this yeah if we if we get to see if we get to see the battle of azanol bazaar in any way shape or form will we see a balrog during it i i actually think if we see it on screen the the battle I wouldn't be surprised. They think that's really tempting. <laughs> I don't know if they'd be able to resist. It is tempting. It <clears> is tempting. <throat> I don't know. Gosh, would I, I you know, cuz I mean I was I've been thinking about, you know, how many connections is Jackson going to try to make to the to the trilogy movies, you know. Mm-hmm. And I could see this being one where he would want to sort of like, you know, show a Balrog cuz we're so familiar with it from from Fellowship of the Ring. Oh. Tough, <laughs> um, tough. Without anticipating your answer much, do you have any thoughts just about this? His general point about um, the fact that they, he's right. There are really three potential large-scale battles that could be shown yeah. on screen. Yeah, yeah. I, well, but also the you know the thing he said about you know he doesn't think that Jackson's going to want to try to pull the thread too much. You know, in yes. other words. I, I will say this, you know, I think and keep the suspense alive. I just don't think season option, you know, of, of not having it in at all. I just, I, you know, I think because Mark makes the point of saying, you know, I don't think it could be completely removed without it impacting too much of the mm-hmm. backstory. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm inclined to agree with. Obviously, I'm inclined to agree with that too, since well, I picked B, and I haven't <laughs> changed my mind since then. Um, so, uh, okay. However, however. Now you're going to introduce a segment, right, from yes. with Casual Stroll Mordor, right? That's, yeah, uh, we we're going to give us a very different perspective on things. Round. Um, yeah. All right, so we've got – this is an interesting choice because it really depends on how much they go into the backstory of the ring – or not so much the ring, but the, the Lonely Mountain and how much are they going to carry it forward. I mean, do they do they go with, you know – they're exiled, and then Thrine goes to Moria. To me, okay, in the first movies, in the Lord of the Rings, they did do the first battle between Sauron. Yeah, they went back, and well, when the ring was cut from Sauron's hand. Yeah. Well, that's kind of important. Yeah, it's very important. 
does this really carry over? I mean, do we need to know about See, Don? Yeah, I'm thinking Azel? from, I'm thinking of someone like my mom watching this movie. Right. Who does not know anything. Who is part of Peter Jackson's audience. He has to make this understandable for people who don't read Tolkien. Uh, it has to be an enjoyable movie experience for everybody. Right. Going backwards doesn't seem to make sense. I think that it's going to be very clear that the dwarves and the goblins hate each other. We don't need to go back and find out why. Yeah. And also, I mean, how much... Okay, so... <laughs> it's depending on, you know, is... <laughs> is Peter Jackson going to be like George Lucas where he feels like he hates to make a, a photocopy of, you know, his prequel uh, be this, you know, be like the sequel? Does episode one need to be like episode four? Exactly. Um, except horrible with Gungans and hopefully not. So I think if we see anything like this, it would be like a brief pan, but it doesn't even make sense. It's taken the story a little bit too far. Yeah. As far as I, I think it's, it's, it's too much backstory for the viewing audience. Do um, we, I mean, we can see like Azog gets killed, but I mean, it's like, nobody would know who that means. I what mean, that means. It's like, okay, Thrian goes and takes back more up to that point. You 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 go a little bit too far. I mean, that has nothing to do with the Lonely Mountain. That has to do with Brian being well, it's, crazy it's, and going into, you know, into the mountains. I mean, does it really? Do we really need to know Thor about that? It was Thor who went into oh, the okay, mountains. Sorry, sorry, got, Thor got killed. Do we need to really know about Thor going into the mountains, getting killed? Do we? Yeah, mean, see, well, it's, it's and do we know it? Need to know about the battles. It's after Thorin's that? backstory. It, it, I mean, Thorin is the main character here. That's true. But the book is called The Hobbit. It should be following Bilbo, not Thorin. I'm going to say A. Isn't, well, let's see. No, it's not going to be in there. They will be. Actually, I'm, where's the? It's not even going to be in there at all. So I, I, I would think say, that it says it will be completely removed and whatever elements appear on screen will do so in the Battle of the Five Armies. Then C. I, I, I think guess C, that's might, C might be the way to go here. They might. Well, would they combine them? Well, people wouldn't know the difference. Most folks would not know the difference. Um, <clears throat> True. Did they say? Well, because they do have uh, dwarves in the Battle of the Five Armies that are part of the Battle of Anna's New Bazaar, where they get names. Um, the Tolkien professor said that's when the the Iron Foot and Oaken Shield and all that kind of stuff comes into play. So maybe that's where they'll, they'll they'll combine those and. Like that, I don't know. Lily says that there is somebody who has been filmed as Azog, or has been cast, uh, cast as, as Azog. Azog, uh, and they mention in in the in the Tolkien professors on Riddles in the Dark podcast that perhaps it'll be Azog and not whoever the bad guy is for the Battle of Five uh, Armies. Bog or yeah, well, who's supposed to be like Azog's son or something? I think it was Bog. Bolg, yes. Yeah. Bolg is correct, honey. Very good. Yay. It's a son of Azog. So it's possible that Bolg will be replaced by Azog in in the battle. And that's, that's how... Yeah, that is possible. They, they've they done that. I mean, they And it'll it make it more personal for the dwarves because the dwarves hate Azog. Ooh, good. I like that. I'm going with C. Okay. They talked me into it. That's our answer. Yeah, I'll go with C. I mean, it makes... Peter Jackson does take liberties because it does make sense. So well, he's got a story to tell in like a short, and also I mean, even if it is in the Battle of the Five Armies, that's not until next year. 
Because True. it's the second. It's got to be in the second. Battle of the Five Armies is the end of the book. Yeah, it's the end of the book. <laughs> well, then, well, Tolkien does do the whole walking back part in The Hobbit. <laughs> Just not as much as in The Lord of the Rings. So, yeah, I, I'll go with that. I like I like the twist that you got with Azog is in there and he killed Thor. I like it. I do. And so all the doors are like, it's Azog! Yeah, exactly. Mark you think uh, if he's in there, Thorin takes him out? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Big old axe, like, ooh, slow motion. <laughs> okay. I, I dig it. I <laughs> I I totally got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with C. All right. Okay. Okay. So that's obviously a very different perspective from yeah. uh, Mark Fisher. He, he, you know, the American Golden Star sort of ha- – uh, are taking kind of I think they're actually doing a, a slightly better job of representing the um, the average view you know the the movie going public's uh, perspective on this because the thing thing with elements like Battle of Azanobazar is that it's one thing when you're making a film like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or The Hobbit or anything like Game of Thrones to 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 have to wrestle with have people read the book or not about which right. upon which this is based it's a whole other thing to wonder have people delved into the appendices. And and the companion books and Tolkien's <laughs> Tolkien's unpublished notes that his son gathered up, I, you know, even if people have read Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, I'm sh- I, it's probably far fewer of them have actually bothered to read through the entirety of Appendix A. And so they have a good point. It could be confusing. It, you know, it may be better to just leave it out. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, that's true. I mean, you know, in thinking about what they said, it's like, am I too much of a Tolkien nerd, you know, that I think it's so important yeah. to, to the story? Yeah, you, you know? and I think, you and I, <laughs> you and I insist it's absolutely essential. How could you possibly leave it out? <laughs> but I remember, I can't remember, if, I know there in one of the episodes, I think you guys talked about this, and I can't remember if it was in this one, which is how do you then explain this horrible enmity between the dwarves and the, and mm-hmm. the, and the uh, goblins, or, or you know, I guess maybe with Thror being killed by them could be sufficient. I don't know. You know, that's true. I mean, how useful is it? I just still think, I don't know. I still think there has to be some, I still think it has to have existed. Yep. Yep. You know? Yeah. I, I, I still think, I agree. I, um, and this is, this is a case where sort of the, the lines between the answers blur. Um, I, I personally think it's unlikely that much of it will be shown on screen just because of screen time, but I'm sure that they will retain the idea of it. And the idea. it will be mentioned, referenced by by both dwarves and goblins. I, I think where it could really come up is in the confrontation with the Goblin King. Uh, and, you know, and, and they'll be talking about the atrocities that were committed ag- uh, um, against each side. And they'll be talking right. about, you know, you killed, you killed Thrine, but you killed, uh, or not Thrine, but you killed, um, um, uh, who, Dine's father, was it Nine? I think you killed Nine and yeah, you, I think it was, you killed yeah. Azog and, you know, you killed my father and you killed my father. I think a lot of that could be retained, but I don't know about um, – uh, Why did I just flash on the Princess Bride? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That that element is is because cause that – I don't remember the – I haven't read Hobbit in a while, I confess, and I don't remember the exact exchange with the Goblin King, but – I know that he recognizes the swords and sees those as swords. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He sees those yeah. as swords that have been used to murder goblins. And I think I do think they talk a little bit about sort of you know I think Thorin introduces himself and they recognize his name, right? Uh, you right. know, and as being somebody that yeah. that 
was a great goblin slayer. So, um, well, this is actually a good segue into some of the comments from the site. Great, let's hear um, it. I've got actually two. Sarah, um, Sarah wrote, uh, "Could the Battle of Azanul Bazar, I think, is similar to what you were just saying, be portrayed like the first Battle of the Ring in which Isildur defeats Sauron? It would give sufficient backstory to build up the animosity between the dwarves and the goblins, as well as provide uh, the oaken shield to Thorin's name. Could be done in a flashback when the dwarves are captured in the goblin caves. Now, I hadn't actually thought about that. You know, I was thinking about it like at the beginning of the movie, but uh, uh, when they're actually at the goblin caves, mm-hmm. uh, she says Thorin has a flashback while." being carried down into the mountain. Um, it would keep this battle separate from the Battle of Five Armies while still maintain the epicness of both as they did in Lord of the Rings. So I don't think it's, you know, that's, that's a possibility that it actually gets introduced, maybe not in the beginning of the story, but when they're actually in the mountains. I hadn't mm-hmm. really thought of it that way. I'd been thinking that it had to kind of be a setup, you know, in the beginning, like at the Unexpected Party, explaining why all of this is happening. But... I don't know. And then Fairhund, Fairhund, Fair, I hope I got that right. Um, I could definitely see it as a flashback or two, though I would want us to see at least some of it before the caves. I'm not as pessimistic as Corey and Dave, though I can see Jackson having Azog escaping death until five armies as it has more dramatic weight since the dwarves win the battle but fail to kill the main target. It could be seen as too much of a win for the dwarves that early. Um, I would have expected it as a prologue before the Frodo frame was revealed. It would be odd to have a prologue that is outside the frame story. Mm, I guess that's true. I can see Bilbo asking a dwarf how Thorne got the name Oaken Shield. There's another possibility at some point, And then get a narration with flashes of the event around the battle. This way, Bilbo gets an idea of just how much the dwarves hate goblins. And that's actually a good point, too. So there's several points probably in the story before they get to the mountains where this could be a flashback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I that's sort of how I anticipate working, too. That's something that I was concerned, too, like about the, the frame story. Like, how... How awkward would it be to start with a um, to start with with like uh, you know a flashback or past history or something sort of right. similar to the way it was done with Lord of the Rings where you have maybe some weird random narrator like Galadriel uh, <laughs> narrating the events or or here maybe it would be Thorin or something how weird would it be to do that and then introduce this frame story I suppose maybe. If you had Bilbo narrating it, um, uh, it could be incorporated in the frame story. But I, I just think that, w- that it ends up being like Inception. You've got like yeah, a, a, yeah. a frame within a frame within frame, a frame. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I don't think Jackson would do it because it would be too similar to F- Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, yeah. I think th- that reason alone he probably wouldn't. Yeah, they might, people might not be able to tell the difference between this battle and the the, the <laughs> War of the Five, the War of the Last Alliance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he's kind of said, I mean, he's, you know, one of his concerns about directing this, you know, why he wanted Del Toro, I guess, originally was because he was concerned about his uh, having done the trilogy and, you know, would he be able to actually make this a different story and that kind of, so Mm -hmm. I think that was on, it's been on his mind. So he wouldn't want to, he wouldn't want to recall, I don't think, the opening to the trilogy either. Yep. Um, But anyway, but that's still, I mean, that's kind of a side thing to the question. The question being, is it even going to be brought up? And if so, how? Yep. Which then I think Father, Father Roderick then has... A different angle too, doesn't he? Yes, yes, he does. Uh, so let's uh, let's play his stuff next. Um, <clears throat> so um, uh, to remind people, and actually, I forgot to do this with American Golden Star too. American Golden Star are the hosts of the Casual Stroll to Mordor podcast, which is like the largest and most popular. Uh, uh, Lord of the Rings online podcast out there. I, I don't actually play the game. I, I have an account, but I don't play the game. Do you play, Trish? No, I don't. I have it, an account, but I don't play. <laughs> it's pretty, it's, you know, it's by no means on the same scale as uh, um, 
uh, World of Warcraft or games like that, but it is it has a very strong following, and a lot of really diehard Tolkien fans are in there. And, and you, what you see in the Lord of the Rings Online a lot more than in other games is a real focus on the lore and on role playing. Yeah, you, know, you have people actually they don't just play the game and grind out levels and try to get the end game content, but they actually play their roles. So you have people who go in in character when they play. So American oh. Golden Star are probably the the they have a site casualstrollthemordor.com. Uh, it's probably the the best known um, Lord of the Rings online site. Um, it's now a part of the Middle Earth network. Uh, so you can find out more about them. Uh, their Twitter account is at Stroll to Mordor. They have a Facebook page. They have a, a, a YouTube channel, Stroll to Mordor. They have a Flickr account, Casual Stroll to Mordor, where they post um, um, screenshots. Uh, and then they have um, – you can find them on iTunes. And they also broadcast their show live every, generally every Saturday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Middle Earth Network Radio, which is radio.mymiddleearth.com. So, um, Father Roderick uh, is uh, Father Roderick von Hogan is the CEO of the StarQuest Production Network, which is the largest Catholic new media um, uh, company in the world, I believe. Maybe even the only one. I'm not sure. Um, and anyway, uh, he does a whole slew of podcasts, really wonderful things on a variety of topics. And, and you may be surprised to know from a priest in a Catholic um, site that uh, that he does uh, shows on a lot of sort of popular culture type stuff. But he does. Uh, and one of them is The Secrets of the Hobbit, which uh, I am a uh, co-host of. And we just basically – it's a weekly podcast. It uh, records live on Thursday um, – no, now Wednesday mornings, usually at 10 p.m. E- or 10 a.m. Eastern time. If you want to listen live, you can go to live.sqpn.com. And we just sort of do a rundown of Hobbit news. We discuss um, various uh, uh, sort of uh, other kind of larger Tolkien-related news and community news. Uh, and we also make do some speculation about the films, and we make riddles in the dark predictions, of course. So the, web, <laughs> the website for that is thehobbit.sqpn.com. Our Twitter account is at Hobbit Podcast. We have a Facebook page. Um, uh, and there's a sister podcast, which is dormant right now, The Secrets of Middle Earth. That is MiddleEarth.SQPN.com, Twitter account at MiddleEarthCast, and there's a Facebook page. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and play Father Roderick's um, contribution for this episode, which I think I might actually be involved in this conversation as well. Now, of course, my prediction, will we see this battle or will we only see the battle of five armies? My prediction is going to be answer C. I think that the battle of five armies will be the culmination uh, of uh, at least one of the two movies, of course. And so they will focus on that. I think if they would add the battle of Azanulbazar, even though it is a very filmic battle and has great ingredients for you know a movie version – I think it would confuse people. It would be too much. Uh, I mean, it really is is uh, part. The, the reason that it's important is more kind of a, a out of a kind of a historical perspective. Because, for instance, the name Thorin Oakenshield is linked to this battle. The the whole Oakenshield thing is part of of the, the story of the Battle of Azanulbazar. So, but does that really matter to the to the the, the movie viewer? Isn't that just overkill to try to explain all these names and events uh, by by showing so much background, which really has not not much impact on the actual quest of Bilbo and his company? Um, so I think Battle of Five Armies that is mentioned in The Hobbit. It's part of 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 the original narrative of The Hobbit. So I think that will be the big battle. I think 
that the battle of Azanul Bazaar will completely be removed and whatever elements appear on screen will do also will do so in the battle of five armies so i think they're just going to you know merge the battle of five armies with some of the elements of the battle of Azanul Bazaar and that'll be it so, yes, unfortunately, uh, even though I know that, that uh, both Corey and Dave are super excited about this battle of Azanul Bazaar making it to the silver screen, but nah, I don't think it's going to happen. And that's my prediction, and I'm sticking to it. Well, so Father Roderick obviously agrees with uh, American Golden Star that, uh, that this, that, uh, you know, getting into the battle of Azanul Bazaar and a lot of this backstory is just getting maybe a little too deep into the complicated history of Middle-earth that uh, Tolkien devised for maybe too much for your average moviegoer to digest. So he thinks that it'll simplify things to leave it out and just incorporate the the cool elements into the later Battle of Five Armies. Um, uh, Do you have anything you'd like to add, Trish? Do I, am I supposed to give mine yet, or, or uh, not just so? yet? Okay, not just yet. Um, no, I well, I, I mean, I think that's a valid viewpoint. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, but I, I just, I still maybe you it's just wishful disagree. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wishful thinking. I mean, yes. I still just can't see that you could just leave it out entirely. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I still agree with Mark that it would be too much of the backstory taken away. Yep. Well, I think, obviously, like I said, I agree with that. So <laughs> um, so let's do a quick rundown of all the predictions thus far, and then we'll get yours. Um, okay. First, I want to introduce two new analysts who recently joined us. Um, the first is uh, Hannah Harlow from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Uh, that's fantastic alliteration. I'm really impressed by that. Uh, Hannah is a manager uh, of e-marketing at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which is the famous publishing company that actually has the publishing rights in the U.S. to most of Tolkien's books, including the re-releases of The Hobbit coming out this year. Um, And more important to us Tolkien professor fans, Houghton Mifflin uh, is the company that will be publishing Corey's Hobbit-related book coming out this fall called Exploring the Hobbit. And Hannah has been working very closely with Corey. She's basically his liaison at the company and has done a fantastic job. And she has graciously agreed to participate in our game. So um, thank you very much, Hannah. And uh, the other new analyst that I would like to introduce is the Last Alliance, which is the Tolkien Society at the University of Alberta. Um, And their representative, Megan Engel, is relaying predictions um, for each of our questions that are actually voted on by their entire um, uh, group when they have their uh, regular meetings. So, um, And I think they're actually going to start contributing some audio content, which is great. So uh, thank you very much, Last Alliance and Megan. You can find out more about them by visiting their website, uh, which I believe is lastallianceuofa.com. And you can hear uh, some podcasts that they've actually started recording there. So our rundown. We have 1A from Mark Fisher of the Encyclopedia of Arda. We have a total of six Bs from Corey and myself, as well as from Arwen Kester of Middle Earth News, uh, and from Hannah Harlow of Houghton Mifflin, from Lillian Alorial of the Warriors of the Westfold podcast, and from The Last Alliance. Finally, we have three Cs that you've already heard from Father Roderick of Secrets of the Hobbit and from Merrick and Golden Star of A Casual Stroll to Mordor. Okay, so I think it's time now for you to reveal your prediction, Trish. So, what do you think? Um, as you've heard, the most popular answer amongst our other analysts is B. 
I think, let's see, I would say uh, there's about, I think 60% of the votes were for B. So uh, what do you think? Well, I'm going to be a conformist this time and go with B myself. Ah, um, all right. I just, you know, I like Mark, I was torn between A and B. I mean, I think, you know, I think Corey may, I can't remember if Corey said this or not too, but, you know, I'd love to be able to see the battle, but I just don't think they're going to do that. So um, I was wavering between A and B. Now, now after listening to subsequent es- episodes as far as what else has to go into the movies and, you know, having seen what we've seen as far as what we know is going to be in, mm-hmm. I have to go with B. I can't go with C. I just can't, as I think I've made clear, I just can't get behind C. So be it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. And I obviously I agree. So I'm I'm I totally. We're not, we, to do that. we have no controversy, you and I, on this one, do we? <laughs> no, no, we're in complete agreement. <clears throat> so awesome. So the original plan uh, today was uh, for Trish and I to roll episodes three, four, and five into one digest episode, but uh, that seems. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That seems ill-advised at this point, unless we want to set set new Riddles in the Dark episode-length records, um, and I think it would be more efficient, particularly from an editing standpoint, to uh, to just go ahead and call it call call, call Uncle, end it here. But fear not, we're just going to hit we're just going to sign off, hit stop, then hit record again, and launch right into the next one. So you'll get episodes four and five very shortly in the next digest. Uh, and uh, and hopefully you won't have quite so much just totally um, uh, non sequitur banter at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, <laughs> you won't get all the backstory stuff. You'll get a, so, you get a little the, bit or of the it. Mythgard stuff. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, fewer Mythgard ads. So that's right, um, that's right. So anyway, I want to uh, I want to thank you, Trish, for for agreeing to to join uh, the the team and to help out. Um, and I really enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to oh, to the too. next one. Oh, me too. <clears throat> and I'm hearing... just thrilled you guys took me up on my uh, on my on my assertion, my off. I don't even want to call it an offer. It's like let right. me play, let me play. Yes, we 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 surrendered. That's right. That's right. Well, good. Well, I look forward to the next ones. Yep. And I especially want to thank all of our analysts um, who have sent us answers, as well as our listeners who sent feedback. Um, just uh, very quickly, I want to uh, to to say um, our analysts include Mark Fisher of the Encyclopedia of Arda, which is at glyphweb.com/arda. Arwen Kessler of Middle Earth News, who you can find on Twitter at Middle Earth News and MiddleEarthNews.com. Father Roderick of SQPN and the Secrets of the Hobbit podcast, um, as well as American Golden Star of A Casual Stroll to Mordor, Hannah Harlow of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, Lillian Elorio of the Warriors of the Westfall podcast from Middle Earth Radio, and The Last Alliance, the Tolkien Society of the University of Alberta, and their representative, Megan Engel. So, thank you, everybody, and uh, you know what, Trish, do you want to take us away? I think you know what the appropriate thing to say here is. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is like a dream come true. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed. We want to give a special thank you to John DiBartolo and the Lonely Mountain Band for allowing us to include their music in our podcasts. You can learn more about these songs, download samples, and buy their albums at minstrelsongs.com. If you are interested in getting involved in Riddles in the Dark or other Mythgard and Tolkien Professor productions, send an email to kale, K-A-L-E, at mythgard.org. So we forgot 
we had a special bonus golem question that we wanted to do, um, and that is straight up: Is Gollum going to leave the cave during the course of the Hobbit film or not? Right. The reason reason this is a question is because in the book it takes him like several decades to leave the mountain. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, um, um, but we just don't think that the filmmakers will be able to resist. Uh, uh, having him included in later action in the film, maybe not directly interacting with the main characters, but at least showing up on screen. So do we think... um, So actually our prediction is, this time around, will he leave by the end of this film? Not will he leave at some point during the course of the two films, but specifically, do we think he'll be out of the cave by the end of this first film? Will he maybe follow them out on their way out or something? Right. Okay, well, of course there are there there are difficulties here. Um, on the and here are the difficulties: is that it is almost impossible to imagine that Gollum doesn't. I mean, he only doesn't come out in the books because of the sort of idiosyncrasies of how that story developed. I mean, you know, Gollum of course, never emerges and remains safely in his cave in the original Hobbit because he was wasn't this malevolent creature who was out for revenge. You know, he like waves goodbye to Bilbo on the way out and there's no problem and why should they ever meet him again? And so even when Tolkien goes back and rewrites chapter 5 to make Gollum more wicked and to add in, you know, Baggins, we hates it forever, um, nevertheless, he still stays in there because he's only changing that one chapter. You know, he's not going to re- he didn't rewrite the entire book to like include like a vengeful Gollum hot on their heels. So, um, so basically we, however, in the fellowship of the ring, when Gandalf is now going back and explaining, um, you know, and we are being introduced to the further history of Gollum, then essentially, basically, as soon as Tolkien really sort of asks himself this question, does Gollum come out? His answer is, well, yeah, of course he does. Um, Naturally, he would. There's no way that Gollum would not come out. But the problem is, had had this actually worked the other way around in Tolkien's mind, that is, and here I'm doing, like, some serious guesswork, but, like, had the Gollum character, as he was, was later developed in The Lord of the Rings, had he existed during the writing of The Hobbit, when The Hobbit was composed, not when it was revised, but when it was composed, it's, it's, it's like, it's very, very difficult for me to imagine that Gollum would not have, that he would have just stood there and shaken his fist and yelled, Baggins, we hate it forever. Um, like he never would have been content with that. He'd have been on their heels that next, that same night. He would have gone, he would have sneaked, he would have found a different way out of the mountains, and he'd have been on, he'd have been all over them, uh, you know, like, you know, like a persistent case of lice. I mean, there's just no way that Gom wouldn't have done that. So it's really actually kind of like the, what happens in the book is really kind of out of character for Gom. Um, I, I just, it's hard for me to see any other way around that. Um, now, it, but so so that's 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 one problem. Now the films are coming at Gollum, as I said in the episode, uh, you know, in the previous episode, the films are coming at Gollum from the Lord of the Rings perspective. So, um, you know, you're basically getting this. We are composing the Hobbit story from the perspective of the Lord of the Rings Gollum, and so that problem it would be really sharp. The Gollum that we all have met, the Gollum that we all know and love from the Two Towers and the Return of the King. Um, he's just going to sit there and be like, Baggins, we hate it forever. Well, I'm going back to my lake. No, he wouldn't do it. It's, there's, there's no way he could do it. But yet, what are they going to do? They're stuck. 
I mean, what other role is Gollum going to play? How are they going <laughs> to keep him out of the rest of the story? Or how are they going to include him? Is he going to show up at the Battle of Five Armies? I mean, what on earth are they going to do if he does come out? And how are, how are they possibly going to handle that? So it's, it's a serious problem and a big question, I think. Um, and but but again, like, could they just make him stay docilely at home? I can't imagine it. He's got to come out. But how do they keep him from catching up with anybody for decades? <laughs> you know, how do they keep him from being a character until you know, like, uh, the, until the two towers, essentially? Um, that's really tricky. Um, and I don't know how they're going to manage it. I really yeah, don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm I was dead certain. That we would see him leaving his cave by the end of the first film. Now, I, now I'm mm-hmm. now I'm unsure. Now I think somebody somebody in the in the questions proposed that that they'll save it until they it'll be a reveal at the end of the second film. You know, because I I do think I do think that the way that they will because I think at the end of the day they're they're making this movie as a prequel to the other films, which means yeah. I don't think it's going to end the way the Hobbit book ends, which right. is happy-go-lucky, yep, Bilbo's happy, you know, made a home from his right. adventure, and every, and he, you know, lives happily for the rest of his life. I think they're going to play it as he arrives home, and then there's going to be, om- it's going to end on some ominous, sort of some ominous notes. The, you know, a last shot of the ring, maybe a shot of a, a Nazgul or two, and maybe a shot <laughs> of Gollum. And so, right. I, I could see that. Maybe the way that they'll deal with this is leave Gollum's role ambiguous, uh, mm-hmm. uh, throughout these films and don't show him until the end of the second film. That's a possibility. Because you're right. Okay. If they show him leaving his cave at the end of the first film and then don't involve him in any of the action, that's problem. Okay, okay, wait. I just had a brilliant idea. Okay, are you prepared for this? Yes. How do you handle the intrusion of a character who's not supposed to be a story? By neutralizing him with another character who's not supposed to be in the story. Are you, the Nazgul. Are you stealing, oh, a Nazgul? Ah, ah, because of course we have Gollum captured and tortured at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. So we could have Gollum uh, in pursuit and have him and and have the Nazgul also be involved, as it seems they are going to be involved in some way. Uh, and we could have Gollum get nabbed by the Ringwraiths and being hauled off to Mordor to be tortured at the end of the movie. Doesn't that introduce huh? chronological problems? Like, why aren't they? Oh yeah. The- the, the, oh yeah, but but those are problems that you know whatever people have already paid exactly. to watch the movies. Yep, yep, <laughs> it's possible. Not a problem. R- so Robert, are they going to torture Gollum for sixty years? Oh yeah, sure, whatever. Robert That's fine. I don't that care. Maybe Legolas will capture him. <laughs> right, because he did such a fine job holding him captive in the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, he is. He is. Does now? I'm blanking. In the film, Council of Elrond, does it come up about the escape? I don't think so. Is, nope. Does, is that mentioned? The escape of Gollum? Nope. I don't think it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, um, all right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's a shame. Because, uh, yeah, you could have that too. But, no, but I mean, because he's got to be, he's got to be, he's got to be. He's got to be tortured uh, in, in Mordor. And we do get that one brief shot of that happening um, in uh in the Fellowship of the Ring, that is, of the torture of Gollum. Um, but, um, 
Yeah. So you know that, that's I, I, so you don't like my brilliant idea. You think no, it, it opens up too many potential inconsistencies? No, but but I, I mean it doesn't. The consistencies aren't any aren't any worse than anything else. I sort well, of but I, see... I balk at the as a book person who wants them to adhere to the chronology. I balk at the idea yeah. I'm like, oh no, that doesn't make sense. How would they have not found the ring earlier than that? Those, they must be the most incompetent. Um, you know, actually, no. Maybe, maybe this dovetails nicely with what we know now about uh, the efficacy of torture and extracting reliable information. <laughs> it took them sixty years to get Shire yeah. Baggins yeah, out of Gollum. Gollum had them running all over Middle Earth looking for this ring. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe, maybe, yeah, exactly. Uh, or, um, they just didn't actually, have the rack oh, set to point. the right. Center. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe they will capture him and lose him. Uh, yeah, right. right. He could escape, but see, because I'm thinking that would be one way to neutralize him again with other people who aren't there. I mean, it's hard to find any way to have him interact. The idea of having him succeed in in his pursuit of Bilbo and the dwarves, that's the thing that seems to me so untenable. Maybe yes. they'll do it, but uh, you know, it's, any further interaction between Gollum and, and Bilbo and the dwarves would just introduce such a right-hand turn. I mean, such like a right-angle turn and the, from the plot. And like you said, same thing, same thing with the Nazgul. Yeah, I mean, if they exactly. happen to catch up to the dwarves and Bilbo, major problem. The ring's right there, you idiots. <laughs> right, but maybe, right, exactly. So maybe Gollum and the Nazgul will be busy uh, with each other for most of the film. Taking each other out of the rest of the plot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, uh, you know, so that's that's exactly, that is the whole uh, heart of my uh, brilliant uh, uh, piece of deduction right there. I don't know. Um, but I, I would think, and I think at, um, I as far as my actual prediction for the first film, I do think he'll come out in the first film um, because I think there's going to have to be, even if it's a like teaser about something that's going to happen later um, closure, I think there's going to have to be I, some closure to the, because again, I think that they've put themselves in a hard place. It's very difficult to imagine the Lord of the Rings films, Gollum simply standing there at the end of a tunnel yelling Baggins, we hates it forever. And then doing nothing. Um, so some indication of like further action or activity on his part, um, are what, um, what I would expect to see. Um, and, uh, let me see, where was it? So you're saying you're, you're, wait, were you a yes or no? Um, oh, I'm yes. Okay. I'm yes. Um, this is no. I was, I was, I was, I was paging back up to see if I could find the thing that Yana said because I agreed with it exactly. Yana says, "I'm going on record here. I've said uh, said it as well during the last episode that I think we'll see him emerge out of the cave. In fact, I think it might be one of the final scenes. I, I, I well, he says I think it might be one of the final scenes of the second movie. I think it might be one of the final scenes of the first movie. Um, that we will see hints that Gollum is going to emerge." Because, um, see, the thing is, it's like they have to do something. They can't just have him emerge. I, I mean, I guess they could. But if they're going to wait that long, I mean, it's that, even that's implausible. Like, seriously, if he's going to emerge and he's not going to wait decades, why would he wait weeks? Yes. You know, I, or months. Yes. I he think wouldn't. That's, that's, a, that's why I, I'm thinking 
I I think you've actually won me over. I actually think okay. the most likely thing at this point is he'll come out at the end of the first film, get captured by the Nazgul, maybe maybe escape at the end or something. But I personally think the only other really tenable thing to do with him is to not show him until the end of the second film, but don't have him just be emerging then. Have him show right. show up in Lake Town uh, yeah. at the end yeah. of the second film. So that way it's like, oh, Gollum's already left. It's ambiguous about when he left. You can fill in the blanks, and it just so happens that he was just one step behind, uh, which is kind of... I mean, in the books, he's 60 years one step behind, but he is, you know, (laughs) one step behind. It's a big step, but he's one step behind. Right, right, Right. exactly. No, no, that would be cool. That would be cool to see, um, like, uh, you know, uh, you sort of uh, pan away from a scene in, like, Dale or Lake Town or something, and uh, and there's Gollum behind a rock. So basically, to him, Plot to the audience, he's been hanging around this whole time, but you haven't seen him on screen because he's so clever. Um, and none of the other characters have noticed that he's there or have any idea that they're being watched um, because he's really good. But then again, you then have the consistency problem. Like, okay, so how is Bilbo going to go back to the Shire and live, you know, a hap- his happy middle-aged years? Um, <laughs> like, where, where? That's why I'm thinking he's going to get captured by the Nazgul or something because something's got to happen to him. Like, you've got if he comes out, you've got to have a reason why he does not. Why there is no, you know, Bilbo and Gollum confrontation part two. I mean, th- there has to be a reason for that. Um, you know, they would need a reason as to why he doesn't emerge, or they would need a reason as to why he does not ever interfere with the plot or meet Bilbo ever again. Um, and that's why, like, you know, his capture, which has already been set up, um, is uh, is the only thing that I can think of that could fit the bill, that could, you know, reconcile those things. I don't know. I don't know. But, um... um Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know possible. what they're going to do. I, I, oh, I don't think I actually predicted. I'm going to go with yes, he's leaving at the end yes, of the Yes, he does emerge. In, I, I think the, in the first film, capture yeah. story is the most compelling yeah. theory I've heard so far. I thought it's a, it just came to me, this luminous, crazy idea. Yeah. Let's get all of the characters who don't belong there together and take them off stage yeah, let's, at the let's same also time. Send, uh, let's send Legolas and Tariel after the Nazgul. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, <laughs> and all of the Tolkien purists cheer as the non-canonical characters are all ushered off the stage at the same on the same bus. In fact, let's yeah. just, we could just cut all that material out of the movie, and make it a web series. <laughs> <laughs> right. Very good. Very good. Exactly. All yeah. right. I think we've yeah. worn that that topic out, so uh, okay. I will add that to that the prediction good. grid as well, and we will ask our analysts to make two predictions this time. That's right. Yes, the yes or no on does he emerge in in movie one, in film one, and uh, do the and uh, and and uh, yeah, and then of course the regular prediction. But yeah, well, I'm glad I remembered that. We almost I was thinking last time we didn't talk about it. I was like, oh, it's okay. We'll do that next week, and then almost completely forgot. Okay, well, now we have obviously set a record, so we should totally stop at this point. All right. All right. Thank you very much, sir. 
Yes, and thanks everybody who has not only joined us, but stuck with us through lots of backstage talk and then spontaneous addendum to the episode. Uh, the, that's, uh, that's, that's what we're going to see. You come and join us live, then, uh, you know, you get, uh, you get uh, to <laughs> to hear the secrets of riddles in the dark backstage. That's right. So especially if my especially if my audio hijack pro failed recording this, then then you'll be the only people that will have heard this conversation. If you yeah. want to make sure yeah, you don't miss exactly. a, a single moment. 